Hi, this is Betsy Brantner-Smith with the National Police Association, and this is a special edition of the NPA report. We are here at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, and I want to introduce you to my very first guest, Daquan Bruce. Welcome to the show. Come on in here. We'll see if we can both fit in here. We call this guy backup. So you have, you are the executive director of an organization called Concerned Communities for America. You are also a native Chicagoan, and uh, so that's near and dear to my heart. So let's talk about what you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish as an organization. Absolutely. You know, the goal of CCA, Concerned Communities for America, is to reach the hearts and minds of the black community. Um, our goals are simple. We want to promote safety um, and the value of family within the black and brown communities. We want to restore the value of economic prosperity within the community and allow people to learn trades, learn entrepreneurship, um, but have a pathway that leads them out of poverty. Um, and then we want to promote school choice. We think that every ch every child deserves the right um, to go to whatever school that they want to. Parents shouldn't have to you know, struggle to send their kids to a, a, a proper school. They shouldn't have to forge their addresses or send their kids to live with relatives for them to go to a good school. They should have the ability to you know, have an, a good quality education right in their hometown. So in promoting those values, um, those values of faith, family, and economic prosperity, we seek to uh, restore a more conservative transformation within the black community and allow people to begin to support candidates and policies that promote those values and build up the community as opposed to what the left has offered, you know, promises, but really policies that hinder and hurt and damage the black and brown communities. So one of the most contentious issues when you talk about black and brown communities uh, and politics is law enforcement. Yeah. You know, there's a very anti-cop narrative out there. Talk about what you think American law enforcement needs to do to bridge that gap and what your organization is doing to help that. Absolutely. You know, I always tell people that law enforcement in the black community isn't a one-size, you know, fits-all type of solution, right? Um, and, and where I give Chicago credit for is, is their policy that community, that police officers who are in a certain community, they have to be of that community. So they're not patrolling people that they don't know. They're not, you know, say, um, guarding people that they don't know. They're, they're guarding their community, and and they're a part of the solution in inside. And that's very helpful, but more importantly, we need to support our police officers, not just you know financially, but we need to have a community sentiment around building that trust and that relationship with the police officers. You know, back in 2018, um, like just months after returning from DC, I got shot in front of the house that I grew up in. Um, and if it wasn't for the police officers in my community who knew me and who knew my family, I don't think I would have gotten the help that I needed in time, right? And then a few months later, my cousin was murdered behind the church that we grew up in. And that was really the catalyst that led for us to start CCA. But it was through having family members on the force, through having relationships with the people who were you know, serving us that we you know, have been on a path over the last four years of, of realizing justice for what happened to me, but also for what happened to my cousin. So recently in Illinois, in Highland Park, Illinois, we had a mass shooting. Everybody's heard about it. Um, uh, that same day of that mass shooting in Highland Park, a suburb of Chicago, there were, like there is every weekend in Chicago, 
multiple shootings and primarily the victims were black and brown people, primarily young people. Governor Pritzker came to Highland Park to talk about that and talk about gun control and all that. He doesn't come to Chicago to talk about that. How does that feel and what do we need to do about that? Because I feel like the, the violence in Chicago very often gets ignored. Not only violence against police officers, but really more importantly, violence against our young people and our citizens. Absolutely. It's, it's astonishing that the left only really speaks up about issues of violence when it serves their larger narrative. When, when it pulls enough on the heartstrings of the people that fund them, for them to you know actually move right you know there just this past month the the crime rate in chicago of shootings was up 17 percent in just the last month right and you don't hear about it on the news anymore because it's become a normal part of of, of, of chicago land society so to speak right and and our politicians they aren't really involved and, and they don't really have an interest in solving that issue because it does it shows that they're not doing anything you know they want to stay they want to stay in office so they focus on the the national issues to keep that national conversation happening while deflecting against the real things that are harming the citizens of our communities their communities that they're in charge of right and so you know it's it's very disheartening when you have you know the governor when you have the mayor going on the national stage and talking about a mass shooting when at the same time you know, Democrats had 21 pieces of legislation sitting in Congress, right? They were put forth bipartisan, but mostly by Republicans. The Democrats refused to touch that would have changed the age that um, the, the shooters wouldn't have been old enough to have those guns in the first place, right? That's a practical solution that could have prevented that and saved multiple lives. We talk about Uvalde. That could have been the same type of solution but Democrats didn't want to touch that because that was too common sense for them, right? That was that was a too simple of a solution, and they wanted you know the big thing. So unfortunately, what I've been seeing, having worked in Congress and having worked um, as a lobbyist, I'm seeing a pattern that Congress likes to hold out and allow tragedy to motivate their agenda instead of doing the things that need to be done beforehand, the simple solutions, the, the common sense solutions, and saving lives in the process. So when we talk about, for example, crime in some of the larger cities like Chicago, how do we draw young people, especially young people of color, away from street gangs? You provide them economic opportunity. You know, a lot of people join gangs, not because it's, it's, it's cool, but because they, they have a need that the gangs tend to provide. They, they need money, and selling drugs or, or being a part of that community gives them you know, an average of maybe $10, $15 a day that makes them feel like they're accomplishing something, right? But also, there's a social need. There's, there's a desire to be a part of something, a, a family need, or, or having friends, right? And being a part of that community, feeling protected as a part of that, that social group draws young people in. So what we need to do practically as a community is we need to have community-based solutions that provides jobs and access to careers in entrepreneurship, uh, trades even, that gives young people a viable alternative to street life. And then we need to bring in and restore the value of community and family within our communities because that is what keeps people you know, at home when they could be out on the streets. 
the, the unfortunate reality of that, practically, was my cousin and myself's upbringing. We were raised as, as siblings, same house, same upbringing. But at some point, he felt isolated from our family, and he felt isolated from his, from his background of faith that he decided to turn to the streets, right? Whereas me, you know, my mom made it clear that I was to be raised in the church at all times. So embracing that, that, that family and that faith allowed me to go a different path. And, and while, you know, at the end of his life, thank God he repented and, and he had turned completely away from the gang life and had went to the military and was cha actively changing his life. It was those small things that that need for security, that need for belonging that led him away into that lifestyle. And so if we're going to if we're going to pull young people away from that, we need to show them a better alternative by having an economic opportunity for them and then having a strong community that will love and support them. It's not that hard. Uh, it really isn't. These are all logical solutions, exactly. right? <laughs> so I, while you're here at CPAC, what is your organization hoping to accomplish? So at CPAC, what we're looking for is we're looking for partners who can come alongside us and help build our ecosystem of community-based organizations that are supporting our communities in the ways that Black Lives Matter had promised but never followed through on. Um, you know, they raised $60 million and our communities got worse. You know, uh, as one of my mentors said, that this organization, uh, Black Lives Matter, profits off of black pain, right? They step in when the narratives, when the narrative strikes. But what we hope to do is that we hope to, we, we are in hopes of getting in the community and, and reaching the hearts and minds of people before that tragedy ever happens. We want to shift, you know, the outcome before it even becomes a reality, right? Um, and so here we're looking for partners who understand that who are sympathetic and empathetic to that cause and are willing to, you know, not support us financially, but allow us to support them with resources, with partnership, uh, and even allow us to share their stories as we're promoting it on the national, on the national level. Where can people find out more about your organization? Yeah. So you can find us at concerncommunities.org and online um, on Twitter at concc4a. And as always, you can find us at nationalpolice.org. Thank you so much for spending Thank time you. with me. Thank you. This was awesome. Hi, I'm here at CPAC with congressional candidate Kyle Sinclair. And we have been talking about law enforcement issues, specifically in the San Antonio area, which does reflect the nation quite a bit. So tell me, why did you decide to get into politics and what are you hoping to do for the San Antonio area? Absolutely. So best way to check out any my website or any social media, kylefor20.com. But I'll tell you what got me started because I have a blended family of eight kids. And like any family across this country, they want to make sure their communities are secure. They want a country where they feel safe in. And right now through this administration and through who I'm running against the incumbent, they want to do everything to attack the police department, our first responders, and they want to destroy every community in this nation. I'll give you an example. In 2020, they had 18 cities across this country that tried to defund the police. There's one city in the nation that did not do that. That was San Antonio. We barely won 51 to keep it funded to 49 that said defunded. The incumbent I'm running against supported defunding the police and that big movement that happened in 2020 where we saw every metropolitan city skyrocket in crime. So those are significant reasons why I'm running and what I'm trying to do. Well, and as we saw, you know, in a post-George Floyd world, um, 
the soaring homicide rates Absolutely. around this country. And I think people think that, oh, Texas, because it's a very red state, doesn't have a problem. But talk about your area and talk about the city of San Antonio because it's a beautiful city. It's a, a wonderful tourist area. Talk about homicide there. Well, let's, let's start even right next to San Antonio, right? So San Antonio is the second largest city in the state of Texas, seventh largest in the nation. And again, we barely won up on our police. The city right next to us, Austin, the capital of Texas, defunded and took $150 million from their budget. And they have massive crime. 2021 for San, the city of San Antonio was the deadliest homicide year in 27 years because of people pushing light on crime, catch and release, and fighting harder for criminals than law-abiding citizens. So as a community, when you are not safe, you cannot develop and grow across this country. I don't care what city you're in. And San Antonio is the same thing. We need people in office, and that's everything from congressional all the way down through state and into city that are tough on crime and focus on developing these communities and making sure they are safe for the American people. You know, Kyle, how did policing and law and order issues become so political? You know, just everything in this country has become political, right? We have race, we got crime, you got the borders, you got the economy, everything right now is turning political. And unfortunately, this country continues to focus on political division. What we need to do is come together as a community because crime is a bipartisan issue. It does not matter if you're white, you're black, matter if you're rich or poor, or if you're Republican or Democrat, you will always face crime and need to be focused on continuing to make sure the community is safe. So it is not a political issue. This is a moral community problem that we need to focus on in this country. Now, you cannot talk about crime and law and order in Texas and not talk about the border. Absolutely. So let's talk about the support of the Border Patrol. Let's talk about how porous borders are negatively impacting your community and your state. Yeah, and I should have mentioned earlier in my campaign, I've been endorsed by the San Antonio Police Law Association. So let me repeat that. You have a 10-year incumbent and a candidate. They endorsed a candidate over a 10-year incumbent because of my stance of supporting first responders and the police. Now on the border, the border is a very sensitive subject across this country. San Antonio is a focal point for the border. I'll give you two examples. About two months ago, they found six sex, tra sex trafficking hubs in the city of San Antonio. They were all migrant stash houses. And so let me repeat that. You have migrants coming across the border, put into the sex trade, sex trade and pushed through San Antonio. So the border is a massive problem. The deadliest, or deadliest uh, border crossing experience we had in the United States was in the city of San Antonio just about two months ago. The 53 immigrants that's trusted the cartel got into a trailer and were left for dead in the city of San Antonio in District 20. And guess what? That night I was there. I was doing radio and talking to people. I was doing interviews across the country. And where was Congressman Castro? Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. So it is a major problem. They then started a migrant center in, in San Antonio. It is the only city of San Antonio, excuse me, the only city in the United States that is government funded, taxpayer dollars to create this migrant center. It is a problem that half of them are, go to elsewhere in the United States, they enter to the interior United States, and the other half they actually are released into the city of San Antonio. Our homeless population has increased. The food bank is having to continue to funnel food into there. The non-charities are running out of money. They're using FEMA and COVID funds to take care of illegal immigrants that have broken our federal laws and come across the border. I'm going to pause there because I can keep going. This is a sensitive <laughs> subject that I'm passionate about. 
Absolutely. Where can people find out more about you and your campaign? Absolutely. Kyle, K-Y-L-E-F-O-R-2-0.com is my website. We are all over social media. I'm very aggressive on this subject. We've been supported by multiple people. I just picked up uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton's endorsement yesterday. I even picked up Attorney General out of Utah, his endorsement. So they know when you get pro-America candidates that love this country, that in, respond to first responders and support them, you can make change in this country. So that's the biggest thing. Check out my website, kylefor20.com and all the social media. Thank you guys so much for having me on. God bless what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for bringing national attention to the police. We need to support them in our country. Hey, we are here at CPAC Texas with a friend of the show and a friend of American law enforcement, Jason Rance. Hello. So we we got to talk Seattle. Of course. Um, the Seattle Police Department and a lot of the surrounding police departments are just so beleaguered and they are constantly under attack. Um, what's happening right now? Right now, you have a significant issue with Seattle Police Department staffing. They are down about 850 deployable officers of what they have. They're supposed to have about 1,600. They've since changed their uh, goal to about 1,400, but obviously we're nowhere near 1,400. Big reason is, of course, the defund police movement. You had a number of anti-police bills that got passed at the statewide level, and cops are just saying, you don't want us to police, so we're not going to will go somewhere else. Sometimes they're going to different departments, but oftentimes they're going to different states, including here in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing. We, we saw the, um, the decriminalization, in fact, really the legalization of drugs. Um, we, we've seen what's happening with, you know, you can't chase a bad guy. Yeah. And are, are, are the citizens starting to catch on that, that this is a bad thing? I mean, they're certainly starting to complain more about the rise in crime. I don't know yet how many folks are tying it directly to some of these bills. So you mentioned the vehicular pursuit ban. Here's what this actually means. The only way that an officer can pursue a vehicle filled with a suspect is if they have probable cause that a violent crime had occurred. Now, there's DUI that has not changed, but a violent crime. Probable cause is a very high bar. So in very. this scenario, you would have to have an officer catching them in the act of a violent crime and then speeding away in order for them to pursue. But what does this actually mean? It means that someone who's going to a pot shop or a retail store, stealing an ATM, holding the people up, they can just literally drive off as an officer is coming into the parking lot, seeing them leave and they cannot be pursued. That is absurd. And that's why we're seeing such a surge in this kind of crime. Catalytic converter theft, of course, is skyrocketing. Yeah. Why are they doing it right in the middle of the day? It's a nonviolent crime. So even if an officer was able to stop you, as long as you were able to get to that car and you don't even have to speed off, you can just drive away leisurely. They can't pursue. That is, of course, absurd. Absolutely. And what is happening with people who are using drugs? You know, that remember, that was supposed to help people just to be able to live their lives, do their drugs. You what's happening? Want to stigmatize anyone. <laughs> uh, what's happening is that they're dying at record numbers. I mean, you look at King County overdose fatalities are through the roof. And again, it's because they know that they're not going to be arrested. They know they're not going to go to jail, which in part, by the way, means that officers can't leverage jail time to go after their dealers, mm -hmm. which means the dealers feel more comfortable flooding the streets with product. It's a lot fentanyl, heroin, meth. Meth and fentanyl actually are going through the roof. Heroin has taken a little bit of a dip because they're going to fentanyl. Which is cheaper and cheaper easier to obtain. And, yep.
Yeah, absolutely. So how do you think the election in November is going to affect Seattle and the it's safety not. of the citizens? It's not. I mean, the truth of the matter is it probably isn't unless there is a significant red wave within the state legislature. Now, in Olympia, Republicans don't have to pick up that many seats. Mm-hmm. However, you look at this primary election, Republicans didn't come out in large enough numbers that we thought. Keith Swank is running for Congress in Washington's 10th, and I talked to him this week who said he was a little disappointed by the yeah. lack of uh, Republican support in a district that should have good turnout. So we're really going to have to sound the alarms on this one to get people to come out. And, and here's the deal. Democrats don't like, the average Democrat doesn't like some of these bills either, and they certainly don't like what's happening with crime and mm-hmm. drugs and homelessness. So we have to connect the dots to make sure that they know that the people that they think are on their side are the reason why we have this crisis to begin with. Jason, you have an incredible social media presence, a media presence on Fox News and your own radio show. Where can people find more about you? You can find me on Twitter at Jason Rance or Instagram on Jason Rance. And if you ever want to see what I do on Fox, YouTube.com slash Jason Rance. Well, that's the end of day one here at CPAC in Dallas, Texas. And I got to tell you, the National Police Association really wanted to be here because we love to interact with the people who support American law enforcement. You know, we do legal filings, we do mailings, we do education of our citizens, and we help citizens learn how to support their local law enforcement. We also get involved in in different cases where law enforcement officers or different communities need some legal assistance for what is happening in their area. And we are so proud to be able to do that. In the meantime, if you would like more information about the National Police Association, make sure you visit us at nationalpolice.org. Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.